chapter 2. So uh, Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to start with verse 4, and I'll read through verse 8. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along, I'll give you a second to get there, Ken Daves. And um, if you're looking on your Bible, to, to your phone to find that verse, I'll wait for you, Mike Black. And um, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 is where we're going to start. But I can't wait too long because we've got a lot to get through today. Use your table of contents, Jennifer, if you need to. No shame in that. No shame. Nobody's safe this morning. All right, Mike's ready. Here we go. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. Let me read that whole section to you again. Because sometimes we hear, but we don't listen. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. And may God give us wisdom and courage to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. That is such a difficult passage. We're not the kind of people who want to put other people's interests ahead of our own. Generally, that's not how we think, we human beings, think about things. We think of our own self-interest first. So I'll give you an example of how I've seen that played out before. When I was in seminary, uh, there was a year of my life up there that I worked as a faith-based faith-based community organizer. And the organization that I worked for was trying to change the way public schools in the, in the, in the state of Colorado were funded. And so Colorado is not like, unlike other states in which a lot of the school funding for public schools comes from, anybody know? Property, Property taxes. And so if your house, if you live in an upper income neighborhood and your house, the property taxes are higher, the schools in that neighborhood get more money. And if you live in a low income neighborhood and the property values are low, the schools in that neighborhood get lower amounts of money. And so poor students get funded in a, in a, in a, in a less way oftentimes, and wealthier kids, their schools are funded in a higher way sometimes. And we were working to try to balance that out somehow with a system called weighted student funding which is if your student is gifted, it costs more money to educate that student. And so every student would get like, let's say $1, just for easy math. So all of us are students, we get $1, but Jenny is gifted. And so Jenny is the school that she goes to will get a dollar for her just being a student there. And then another dollar because she's a gifted student. And then let's say I go there and I'm delayed somehow and the school gets a dollar because I'm there and then a dollar because I'm delayed. And it just kind of spreads that out some. And as we were talking with parents in the neighborhood in which I lived, which was not a low-income neighborhood, we were talking to the parents there, and I, I, I kid you not, there were a lot of parents who were Christian parents who said, why would I be willing to take something away from my kids to give it to kids I don't even know? 
Paul wrote, let each of you not look, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Man, this is a difficult thing to do. The spiritual discipline we're going to be talking about this morning is what Richard Foster calls the spiritual discipline of submission. All of our favorite things to do. Submit to authority, right? Listen to what Foster says. This is on page 111, or 110 and 111 of, of this book. Every discipline has its corresponding freedom. If I have schooled myself in the art of rhetoric, I am free to deliver a moving speech when the occasion requires it. Demosthenes was free to be an orator only because he had gone through the discipline of speaking above the ocean roar with pebbles in his mouth. The purpose of the disciplines is freedom. Our aim is the freedom, not the discipline. So he's echoing the words of Jesus when Jesus was in an argument with the Pharisees about Sabbath keeping. See, Jesus' disciples were accused of not keeping the Sabbath, and Jesus always was healing people on the Sabbath. And so he was getting in some trouble, and he said to the Pharisees, he said, listen, you're getting it all twisted up. You think that we were created to obey the rules of the Sabbath when the reality is the Sabbath was created for us and for our good. And it's the same with the disciplines. If we make the disciplines and how to like follow the right rules of keeping this discipline the aim, then we are serving the discipline. And the discipline's purpose is to offer us freedom. So if there is a corresponding, he says, I said that every discipline has its corresponding freedom. What freedom corresponds to submission? Anybody who hasn't been in the two previous services want to take a guess? What is the corresponding freedom to discipline? It will feel good to you though, Rick. It's the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. Wouldn't that feel good to all of us? Because we have that burden, we have that desire to get our own way and to have our voice heard when we need it to be heard because we need it to be heard. And the thing is, like, really oftentimes the truth is it's not out of some kind of selfish desire to win the argument or to get our own way or to make our point. It's because we care a lot. And because we care so much, we have something that we want to say but submission frees us from the desire, the burden to have to have it our way and to have to have our voice heard. And this is the point in the pre two previous sermons where husbands and wives start looking at each other. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Let me tell you a story about how submission works. So, when I lived in Abilene, Texas, Elise and Emery went to Bowie Elementary School, which was on South 20th Street. South 20th Street in Abilene is a long connecting street. It's not a major thoroughfare, but it goes across the entire city. So you can get to a lot of different places. It's a relatively busy street. Their school was on South 20th. It was an old school and didn't have enough parking for everyone. 
And so pick up and drop off was a nightmare. It was just a nightmare. And they, the way that parking worked at that school was they had one long, about a block's worth of parking where you would just pull in straight. And they were really narrow parking spots. And so people would come, especially at the end of school, to pick up their kids. And instead of pulling into those parking spots, they would just parallel park behind one another along the street. Well, nobody wanted to park all the way around the block. And so I would get there early sometimes, and I would pull into the parking spots. Well, the problem is, everybody thinks that their time is more valuable than mine at pick-up and drop-off for kids, and they're just wrong. They need to understand my time is the most valuable time at pick up and drop off. Always. And you're all like, no, no, that's not true. My time is like we could have this argument about it. And it's not just pick up and drop off. It's like really any traffic situation. My time is more valuable than anybody else's. And so I got there a little bit early and I figured out the system. I would get there early and I would park in one of those parking spots. That way I didn't have to walk all the way around the block to pick my kids up. Well, Turns out, what would happen is you would park in one of those parking spots, and then somebody would come along and park on the street right behind you and block you in. And then it was always, those were the kids who were in trouble, and they would sit after school, and the parents would be chatting with each other, and I'm like, don't you understand, I've got places to go, my time is valuable. They didn't get it, and so I would be stuck there. So I figured out a system. I would get there a little bit early, I would back into my parking spot, and then I would pull out about halfway... That way, nobody could park in front of me. I was out there blocking it, and like they could park here, they'd be right there, and they'd be right there, but I'm ready to just pull out. It was awesome. And, And so one day, I'm coming to pick Elise and Emery up from school, and there's a lady, and she's parked, blocking an open parking spot, and there's nobody behind her. And so I, I honked my horn. I'm not Rick. It wasn't like a like one of those honks. It was the kind like beep beep. Hey 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 hey. Just get your attention. That kind of honk. And so she nicely looked over at me. And I said, Hey, could you mind backing up so I can have that spot? And she goes, Sure, no problem. Real nice lady. So she backed up. I pulled in. I backed out. Because I knew if I pulled all the way in, she wasn't that nice. She would block me in. And so <laughs> I backed out a little bit. And then. Uh, Elise and Emery came and got in the car and we took off. Let me tell you another part of a different story and I'll finish this one. So put a pin in that. One day, I was watching my kids play soccer. And Elise always played forward. And her coach, for some reason, decided to move her over to... Daniel, what's, what's the, if you're playing, is it wing when you're out off by the sideline? Should they move her off playing wing? And so she's got the ball on a breakaway. She's like nine years old. She's running down the field, and her coach is yelling, cross it, cross it. And I see her look, and the, and, and the forward and the midfielder are behind her, so there's nowhere to cross it to. And she had been taught in Denver when she started playing soccer, if you've got the ball at your feet, try to score, shoot. If you can't shoot, dribble. If you can't dribble, then pass away from pressure. And so... There's nobody in front of her except the goal, uh, between her and the goal, except the goalie. So she dribbles up there, she shoots and scores, and her coach goes, selfish. That's what I thought. And so I'm sitting in a lawn chair down the sideline a little ways, and I thought, that guy just called my daughter a name. So I stand up. Actually, I said something before I stood up. And then I start walking towards him, 
And Michelle was sitting between us, and she sticks her feet out, and she said, you think this is a good time for that? And I said, no, I'll wait till halftime. And so I don't know why everybody laughs at that line. I was waiting until a better time, and so I sit down, and halftime comes around, and I realize this probably isn't the best time or place. So I waited until Monday when they had practice. Well, we went to church between the soccer game and Monday, and God did what God does and softened my heart about this guy. And so we show up at practice, and I, I wait till practice is over, and I walk up to him, and I said, Hey, Robert, can I talk to you for a second? He goes, Sure, what's up? And I said, Hey, I know you love these kids a lot. And I know that you love them enough that you ran for, for uh, a, sit, a school board, and you got elected to school board, and you've been coaching forever, and you, and you really love the sport, and you love the kids. Let me tell you something that happened the other day. You got caught up in the spirit of competitiveness, and I get it. I get there also. But let me tell you what happened, because I don't think this is who you want to be. So I told him, and he started crying. And he said, I am so sorry. I, I will not let that happen again. And he said, as brothers in Christ, I'm so glad you came to me. And we like hugged each other, and it was this great experience. And I was like, man, I know how to do this thing, right? <laughs> so now we're back to the school. Now we're back to that whole situation. So a few weeks later, after the lady let me park and I pulled out, I pull up, and the same lady is blocking the same parking spot. And I'm like, is she ever going to learn? And so... I, I, I do the nice horn toot at her again, and she looks at me, and she just looks forward. And so I honked, real honked that time. And she looked at me, and I said, hey, you mind backing up? She cracks her window, and she goes, I'm not doing anything for you. No kidding, she yelled that at me. And I was like, what's wrong with her? And so I said, are you serious? And she, go, and she tells me, yeah, she's serious. And I said, please, just back up. I want to park in that spot. So she backs up, and I pull in. And I mean, as soon as I get in, whoop, she blocks me in. And I'm like, I got to go find out what's wrong. I did something to hurt this lady's feelings. I, I mean, I'm Robert in the situation. I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to make this right right away, though. So I get out of my truck, real, real, like, I mean, I was going to do the right thing, and I was so proud of myself. And I walk over, and... She's a small female in a car that the top of the car is about right here. And I'm not a small female. And I did the real humble thing, which is knock on, her, on the glass and look in, right? And so she just looks at me and looks forward. And I said, I just want to talk to you. So she cracked her window a little bit. And I said, hey, did I do something? Why? I'm sensing you're angry at me. What did I do? I need to know so I don't do it again. And she said, the other day, when you pulled in and then pulled back out, you blocked me in because somebody came in behind me and was so close that I couldn't back out and I was stuck there until you left. And I said, you know this isn't a parking lot, right? <laughs> and she said, what are you talking about? I said, this is a street. You're parking on a street. And I said, this over there where you're blocking all the cars in, that's the parking lot. And I said, you know who parks in that parking lot mostly? It's teachers. Now, you have to know my wife is a teacher, so I'm always really defensive about teachers. And I said, and they take care of our kids all day long. 
And they protect our kids, and they go out of their way for our kids, and they bring home all the sicknesses that our kids bring to school, and and they go above and beyond, and you block them in, and if they have to leave to go get their kids from school or get their kids to a doctor's appointment, they're blocked in, and you don't care. I was right, wasn't I, Michelle? I was right. And she goes, shoo, 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 and rolled her window up. I was not practicing the spiritual discipline of submission. I was putting my own self-interest first. I was not caring about what was happening in her world. And in the process of that, I had to make sure that I got my point across. And that what I needed to say was said. And that things could happen my way. I was ready to call the cops on all these people parked out there, man. What would happen if we became the kind of people who were really able to put others' self-interest first? What would happen if we became the kind of people who recognized other people's time is just as valuable as our own, and other people's opinions are just as valid as our opinions? And what would happen if we had this understanding that just because we have the right answer and have an opinion doesn't mean we have to share it with everyone? Notice Michelle's not here today. Because she'd be holding me to this one. What would happen? Well, I think we would be known as more loving people. I think we would be known as people who actually care about others. Let me read to you a few things that Richard Foster wrote. He says, these are the seven acts of submission that we should all as Christians be practicing. Number one, he says, we should practice submitting to the triune God. That every morning we should wake up saying this prayer, and every night we should say this prayer before we go to sleep. I surrender to your will. Body, mind, and soul, I surrender. What if we could actually do that? Really surrender to what we could understand as the will of God. Then he says, surrender to Scripture. Scripture that is animated by the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why I started talking about the quadrilateral with the kids earlier. It's because Methodists have this system of of, of interpreting and working through Scripture, a method for interpreting and working through Scripture. So we say Scripture is primary. That is the primary way that God speaks to us in the modern world. But sometimes Scripture doesn't make sense. Are there dinosaurs in the Bible or not? I don't know, man. Like, is that really a valid argument? I don't know. doesn't seem like, to me, it's not that important. It might be to someone else. But we have our reasoning abilities that God has given us. So when we read Scripture, we can use our reason to help us. And the Holy Spirit will work through that. And we can use the tradition of our church and the tradition of Christianity worldwide to help us. And then, anybody know what the other one is? Tradition, reason, and experience. How have we experienced the world? Using those three things, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, Richard Foster says, we ought to submit to Scripture. Then he says, we should submit to our families. 
That we should listen to them and make space for them so that they can actually be heard. And then he says, submit to our neighbors. Those that we meet in our daily lives, whether that be in our actual front yards or backyards, or whether that be the people that we meet in the places that we work and the places that we go, submit to our neighbors. And then we submit to our church. There are jobs to be done around our church that need to be done. And and if you have the skills to take care of that, jump in and take care. And if you hear of something that needs to be done, and you know somebody who knows how to do, do it, and tell them, and, and, and we should submit and help out, putting other people's interests in front of our own. And then he says, submit to the broken and the despised. He says, we must identify genuinely with the broken and the despised of the world. Then, last but not least, submit to the world. Because we cannot live in isolation. You know, there are people who will die today of starvation. And there are people who will die today of malnutrition and dehydration. But we're not them. And we should care. We should put their interest ahead of our own if we can. The problem with preaching a sermon about submission is that in the back of my mind I start thinking, what if you preach it and inspire people and then they just kind of let themselves be doormats in abusive relationships? Or what if people allow themselves to be manipulated in the places that they work and taken advantage of? I don't think that is what happens within the spiritual discipline because We are called to love ourselves, not despise ourselves. Sometimes the discipline that. uh, (laughs) Sometimes we can make these disciplines become such a deep thing within us that we lose sight of what it actually is. And so submission can look like self hatred sometimes. Anybody remember the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are commanded to love ourselves. If you're in an abusive relationship, submission does not look like taking it. If you're being manipulated and and looked over at work repeatedly all the time, submission does not mean just taking it. If we have leaders in our schools and cities and nation and around the world that are doing things that are absolutely opposed to the Word of God, our submission to the Word of God should call us to stand up against all of that. So it's not as simple as let people go in front of you in the pick-up and drop-off line. Which you should. Especially if it's a black truck and I'm driving it. <laughs> but we don't have to always be correct. We don't always have to have it our way. We don't always have to offer our opinion. Richard Foster also says that the discipline that runs closest to 
the discipline of submission, there are two of them that are very close to one another. The one that's closest to submission is silence. But we have to be careful because sometimes submission to the Word of God is speaking up. Speaking up for those who are downtrodden, those who are hurting. This week, let's let our imaginations go wild and imagine what it would be like if we were people who were better at submitting to the will of God and better at putting other people's interests before our own. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.